We'll be back uh, tomorrow evening, and we'll do it all over again. Coming up, we've got Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artel. Don't go anywhere. WJFF Jeffersonville. We are Radio Catskill. Just a reminder that uh, snow is likely tonight, possibly a mixture of rain and snow for the overnight and uh, winter precipitation. Overnight low down near 30. Um, tomorrow, uh, rain is still likely in the morning, especially um, becoming more likely that it's just rain as we head towards the afternoon high of 47. So a little little bit warmer tomorrow. And it should clear out of the area by tomorrow night for an overnight low of 32 once again it is time for trailer talk stay tuned support for wjff radio catskill comes from the river reporter newspaper in narrowsburg new york riverreporter.com from the women's health center in homesdale hamlin waymart carbondale and lords valley in pennsylvania physicians and certified midwives who deliver the women's health center is a wayne memorial community health center WMH.org. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline travel trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I am so happy that Stacy Poptanich is joining me today in this virtual uh, episode of Trailer Talk. Please imagine you are sitting around the kitchen table with us and we are having this conversation about the work that Stacy does. She is a licensed wildlife rehabilitator in New York State, and she also has a program where she's focusing on pregnant cat and kitten rescue. She is located in the Sullivan County Catskills, and we're going to talk about how the work she does locally is also connected to the work that other wildlife rehabilitators are doing throughout the country. Uh, so welcome, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining me on this snowy morning. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So why don't we begin by talking about what does this mean that you are a wildlife rehabilitator? What, what do you do? So if someone finds an animal that is injured or orphaned, they can call me and I will talk them through what needs to be done if it really is something that they need rehab for or if it's an animal that should be left alone. And so what kinds of animals are you talking about? We are located in upstate New York in the Sullivan County Catskills, also known as the Delaware River Valley region. What kind of geographic area are you encompassing with your wildlife rehabilitation? My license is good for any animal found in New York State. So even if it's not in Sullivan County, I can still take it. Um, I mostly do with deal with birds and small mammals at this point. Um, I've had some doves. I've had some pigeons. I've had some woodpeckers, a few different kinds of squirrels, mice. I had a beaver. I've had a porcupine. Um, at this moment, I cannot do rabies vector animals for another year and a half, which is your raccoons, skunks, and bats. And I also have to wait another year and a half to do the large mammals, which is bear and moose. Wait a minute. Do we have moose here? And further upstate, yes. Yes, we do. Up by Vermont and Canada. Uh, right. Very rarely down in Sullivan County. Okay. So this is fascinating. So you're able to, you mentioned squirrels. So we have yes. red squirrels and gray squirrels. And what other kinds mm -hmm. of squirrels do we have locally? Those are basically it for the squirrels here in New York. And what about flying squirrels? I could do flying squirrels. There's not a whole lot of them around here. They're at my house. That's why I asked. <laughs> I, they're incredible creatures. 
<laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> they come out at night and they're fast, but I, <laughs> I've, I see them this time of year at night, really around my bird feeders. Once I get those up, they do love the bird feed. They'll come down the tree. And you mentioned rabbits. Yes. I've had quite a few rabbits, some that have been injured, some that were orphaned. With any orphaned animal, the best thing is always to get it, get it back to its parent if possible. If not, like if we know the parent is deceased, then I would take them. But we always try to get them with their parent. That's always the best. And so how do you do that if you take in a wild animal who needs medical attention and you're caring for them, but their parent is still there? Their mother is still there? It- if it's just orphaned, I wouldn't take it and I would get it back to its parent if we knew its parent was there. If it's injured, then I do what needs to be done. If it can be rehabilitated and then release it into the same spot. Okay. So could you share with us some of these relationships that animals have depending on the kind with their families, family units? Um, bunnies stay with their moms for just a couple months really and then they're on their own so a lot of times people will think it's a baby bunny but it's really a juvenile that's already on its own I had a woman she and her kids spent three hours catching this bunny wrangling it stressing it out and then they brought it to me and I'm like it's fine just please leave it put it back where you got it from Right. That's one of the big things. Be- before anyone takes an animal, you really need to call and find out what to do about it. If it really does need help. Because when you capture them and when they're in captivity, they are very, very stressed. A lot of times they won't eat. Mm-hmm. Does this happen a lot with baby deer? Yes. Baby deer are a big one. People always call. They see a deer all alone in a field laying there. And you have to tell them the mom will only come once or twice a day to feed it because a newborn fawn, it has no scent. So the predators will not find it. If the mom comes over, then the predators are going to smell mom's scent. So always leave a baby deer alone. So as part of the work you do, Stacy, as a licensed wildlife rehabilitator education for us, yes. for the ignorance we have. <laughs> I, I want to call it ignorance. It's always very well intentioned. Okay. But I, I more than half the calls I get, I, I end up telling the people, just leave it alone. It's fine. There's nothing to worry about. Because we also get a lot of calls for animals that they think are nocturnal and they see them during the day. And that's that's not always a bad thing. That's that's perfectly normal sometimes. Yes, I've noticed that people get often very reactive if they see what they think is a nocturnal animal. Like, what would be an example of that? Um, skunks and raccoons are a good one. They can be out during the day. That that alone does not mean they're rabid. It could be something bothered them and woke them up. It could be they have babies. It could be they're in labor. That happens oh. with bear a lot in the winter. People see a bear and, and think it's a problem in the winter. It should be hibernating. A lot of bears are having their babies in the winter. Oh, my goodness. And so when the mother bears in labor, she She will be out and walking around. Okay. And not in a good mood. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I see. So it really is then a lot about educating us about. So how do you do that? What kind of outreach do you do to educate people about wildlife in addition to, of course, having to ascertain whether they, the animal needs your help or not? Well, I, I do have a Facebook page and I do try to post information on there. When I get baby bunnies, I, I, I did try to put information in there about when you're looking at the size of a bunny, how to guess how old it is and things like that. And people can look Stacy Puptanich up on Facebook under Mother Hen Wildlife Rehab. And that's yes, where you correct. can see the animals that you presently have or you have had and some correct. of the information. And looking at at your Facebook page now, I see connected to what you were sharing about the kinds of animals that you can take in. 
uh, it says also, so birds, but not raptors at this time. And you also said it's going to be another year and a half before you can take in the, uh, larger, you said, right. And also, and also rabies vector animals. So what will you be doing in the next year and a half to educate yourself or what is the licensing process? So New York state does require me to take a couple of classes and I also have to get a rabies shot. Oh, okay. (laughs) Before you can work with those. And they want you to have at least two years of experience with a regular license before you grant you the other licenses. So Stacy, the animals you mentioned, you mentioned birds, you've also mentioned turtles and you've mentioned mammals. So what kind of training have you undergone to be able to be a licensed wildlife rehabilitator? Well, I've been working with animals all my life. It started with dogs when I was young. I was in 4-H, a lot of farm animals. I currently at my house have five dogs, some cats, chickens, goats, honeybees. And I also am an employee at CARE where we work with dogs and cats. And New York State does require um, me to study and take a test before they give you your license. Okay. And CARE is Catskill Animal Rescue. Yes. And CARE takes in mostly dogs and cats and deals with rescue and then adoption. So speaking of that, so I follow very closely the work of care, your work with mother hen wildlife rehab, although it's quite, quite new, right? How, how, when did you, I, I started back in March when I got my license. So in March, so it's quite new, but I have always been very connected to animals of all kinds. So I follow these pages and and also what's happening locally in the event that let's say I recognize a dog or a cat or, you know, Mm -hmm. I can help. Um, So you recently adopted an old, big, beautiful dog from Arush. Yes. She was a sharp, she was a sharp It's a livestock guardian breed. And can you tell us a little bit about Anoush? Because you posted recently. Yes, she unfortunately did pass away. Um, We knew that was going to happen when I adopted her. When I adopted her, she was already 11 years old. She was brought over by her original owners from North Macedonia as a puppy. And she spent her whole life outside doing what she was trained to do. And her owners had gotten elderly. They were not able to care for her anymore. Um. And she was very, very aggressive when the dog control officers went to try to catch her. And we found out later it's because she had chickens there that she was guarding. So Mm -hmm. I have goats, I have chickens. So we decided it would be best for her to keep doing what she loved doing. So she came to my house. She lived with my goats, loved them. They loved her. They played together. And she, she was great with my kids, my other dogs. She was just a wonderful, wonderful dog. And um, she was already 11. Their lifespan is about 11 to 12 years. So she did unfortunately pass away. Well, that was a beautiful story, though, because I was following that on Hare's website and you adopting her. And then you just posted that she died recently. Um So I also am wondering if you can share the story of the Canadian goose. And this is a goose that is out there right now. And uh, I'd like you to share with us the story of this goose that needs your attention and what you've decided to do and how the community is also supporting you in doing that. So I have received multiple phone calls and Facebook posts about a goose with a broken wing, a Canadian goose, over at the nursing home here in Liberty. There's a pond. And um, I went over and took a look at it. And the tip of one of its wings does look like it is broken, but it's not displaced. It doesn't need to be splinted or anything like that. It will not let you get close to it because it is still very, very fast. Its legs work wonderfully. So as soon as you go up to it, it just runs right in that pond and just starts swimming away. 
So to catch it would be very, very traumatic for the goose. And also Canadian geese, they mate for life. They are very, very devoted to their partner. So his mate who flew south for the winter with a flock, we're assuming, will come back in the spring as long as she's okay to mate with the same goose. So we don't really want to move him. So what we're doing, what I'm doing, um, I'm feeding him throughout the winter. I, I just got him this nice metal poultry feeder with an overhang so his food won't get wet or snowy. And we're just going to keep an eye on him and make it make sure he makes it through the winter. And there's so many of us who've been concerned about this goose. And it, I have to say, it made me so happy to know that you went there, you assessed the situation, and you realized that it wouldn't make, in fact, it would endanger him if you were to to catch him and, and bring right. him to to your wild, wildlife uh, rehab center, uh, the, the mother hen wildlife rehab center, but he does need food. He's alone. It's winter. We've ha- just had our first snow today. So I think what moved me so much and, and really relieved me was to see the community asking, how can we support you, Stacy? What kind of food can we purchase? Because so if you could share with us what what this is going to be, I think this injured goose is a perfect example of the kind of work you do. Now, he's not going to be at your house. So you're going to have to drive there and deliver food to him and make sure he's safe through the winter. And the winter is just beginning. Yes. So what is this going to look like? What kind of food? How are people supporting? And well. And I just want to remind people, you're not on a salary as a wildlife no. rehabilitator. Wildlife rehabbers are completely volunteer. We do not get any money or funding from the state. So I do have a Monday through Friday job that does pay for a lot of it. And then I do take donations and it's very much appreciated. So with this Canadian goose who has an injured wing, who was not able to fly with his maid and his flock to to the, uh, the, the winter location. What is this going to look like then? What are you going to have to feed him, bring to him? So he will eat, um, corn. He will eat oats. Um, he will eat lettuce, cabbage, the greens from carrots. He'll eat kale. Um, also tractor supply was nice enough the other day to already donate a bag of duck feed to me which I put some of that out there for him. Um, One of the really important things, if someone does go and feed him, do not feed him bread, do not feed him potato chips or any other human junk food. Bread will make ducks and geese sick. I know that's what everyone thinks of when they go to feed ducks at a pond. They're always throwing out the bread and they eat it and they love it, but there's no nutritional value in it whatsoever. It's just going to fill up their gut and they won't be able to get anything else in there. So that's really good to know. And, uh, you know, and, and it's about taking care of our community members, isn't it? And these animals, whether they're domestic or wild, are part of who we are sharing our neighborhood with, our lives with. I'm wondering if you could talk about your connection to animals and what you believe. I want to add that you posted on your Facebook page on the Mother Hen Wildlife Rehab page. One of the postings, there's a picture of this tiny little baby mouse, tiny, that you are caring for. And you begin the post with, but it's just a mouse. And then you respond. That's what everyone says about so many different kind of animals, not just mice, but you know they see a stray cat and it's it's no big deal, but it it is. It's it's a living being. They have feelings. They have families, and it's also part of our ecological system. If you don't have mice, you're not going to have owls either, which everyone loves. Everyone loves seeing the eagles and the hawks, and so you have to have the food chain. 
So mice are very, very important around here for so many animals as a food source. And Stacey, how did you become connected to animals? Like I said, I've been with animals my whole life and working at CARE, we received phone calls constantly about people that, you know, found an animal or found an injured animal and they think it needs help and they don't know who to call. And in this area, we have, and and actually the entire country, there are very few wildlife rehabbers because it is a volunteer position. You don't get paid for it. And a lot of it is very sad. A lot of the animals you can't help other than take into vet and have them euthanized, which I've had to do with a few animals. Now I had this beaver that there was just nothing we could do for him, but you know, I took him to the vet. I paid to have him euthanized. So at least he wasn't suffering anymore. And how do you handle that? How do you handle the losses, the, the suffering? How do you balance? Yeah, but then when you have one that it works out, like when I, I've had a dove recently that I got to release and watch it fly away and it was happy and, and that makes up for it. The ones that you can help make up for the ones that you can't. And knowing that I at least tried. Mm-hmm. Also, you um, have animals with you sometimes for many months before they can be yeah. released. And in some cases, they can't even be released. So could you introduce us to some of these animals under your care right now? Well, um, right now I've got two squirrels that were brought to me about a week apart from each other at in the fall, end of summer, beginning of fall. And they were still babies at the time. They had to be syringe-fed formula. And now they're eating regular food, but the problem is they haven't learned how to be outside yet. You can't release a baby squirrel at the beginning of winter. They haven't had time to build a nest. They don't know how to build a nest. They don't have food storage. So they will stay with me through the winter. I'll continue to feed them, take care of them. And then in the spring, what I do is the cage will be moved outside so they can start getting used to some of the stuff outside, the sounds, the smells. And then you slowly open the door for a few hours a day so they can wander out, still leave them food so they come back, lock them up at night so they're safe, and eventually just leave it open and let them be free. And that is your goal, right? Yeah. Is for them to be free but there are cases where they can't be. And then do you reach out to people in your community? How does that work? So as a wildlife rehabber in New York state, you're not allowed to keep unreleasable animals, depending on you know what's going on. Sometimes you just can't. If you have a bunny that you know had to have a leg amputated, it's not fair to release that animal into the wild. It's, it's not going to survive. So you can reach out to some of the zoos or the animal wildlife sanctuaries in the area and see if they can find them a place. I see. And let's talk a bit about these networks, because in addition to being a wildlife rehabilitator, you also work with CARE, the Catskill Animal Rescue, which are domestic animals. What are Uh these networks of the rescues, the rehabbers, the sanctuaries? Like, how does this work and where do we fit into this picture as the public? We always try to talk to each other. Here at CARE, we have a list of wildlife rehabbers. You can also go on the DEC website and find a list of rehabbers by the county and by what animals they can take, which is very helpful for people. But we here at CARE, when we'd get those phone calls, we'd reach out to the wildlife rehabbers or we'd give them their number and see what we could do. And Stacy, this is hard work. I mean, not only are you dealing with the losses, and of course, as you described, you're dealing with freeing and releasing animals back into their environments, their homes, but you're also having to care for animals around the clock. So yes. What does that look like? Like right now, what does a day look like when you're dealing with a pigeon, (laughs) you're dealing with baby squirrels? What does your rehab look like? It depends what the animal is. Um, Like Monday through Friday, I go to work during the day. So I spend over an hour in the morning before I even go to work, feeding animals, cleaning cages. And then when I get home, I do it all again. There have been instances with some of the babies where they do come to work with me. My (laughs) bosses have not 
been thrilled about that. I, I have had to um, syringe feed some squirrels at work because they <laughs> eat every so many hours. I am lucky enough to um, have my daughter also work with me. She's 17. She also has her license. So she also oh. helps take care of them for me. Oh, that's fantastic. And how long is that licensing? It's for two years. Two years. So that's a huge commitment. And as you say, you're now training over the next year and a half to gain even Correct. more knowledge so that you can rehab different additional. I, I have to keep all the records and they get sent to the state every year of what animals I've had, what happened to them, were they able to be released? Did they pass away? How long did I have them? All that information. So Stacy, we just have a couple more minutes. I'm just wondering what else do you want to share with us? What's, what's most important for us to know? Or if there's a story you want to share. So I, I recently had this homing pigeon, which I have never had before, had no experience with them. So it was a learning experience for me. Um, he had a tag on his leg. I had to figure out what exactly that meant. And come to find out he belonged to a pigeon racing club down in New Jersey, about 300 miles away from us. Incredible. And so I reached out to them and they said, just feed him for a day or two, make sure he's strong and release him and I'll come home. And to me, that was amazing that these animals are so, so smart and have all these instincts. And in general, animals are much, much smarter than we are. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> that's I like work. No with surprise. Them. They are just so amazing to things that they can figure out. Right. That's, that's incredible. And how can, when people see wild animals out, out when they're, you know, hiking or walking just at the house, just watch them and just appreciate them. Don't bother them. And if you, if you think there's a problem, call someone before you do anything. Thank you so much. And how can people reach you, Stacey? Um, they can call me. It's 831-392-7790. They can text me to the same number. If I don't answer at that exact moment, please leave me a message. I will try to get back to you as soon as I can. If it's an animal I cannot take or don't have room for, I will try to get you in touch with someone else that can take it. I also started recently doing cats and kittens with an emphasis on having them fixed people don't realize the impact that all these stray cats have on wildlife all the birds and the mice that they're killing every year so it's so important to have them spayed or neutered and I've recently personally started paying for some people that don't have that money to get their animals fixed so if there's anyone in Sullivan County that has an outside cat that cannot afford to get it fixed please call me and I, I will get you help to make sure it's done. Thank you so much, Stacey. It's really great to talk to you. And I look forward to continuing this conversation uh, as, as you rehabilitate other wildlife and to see how the animals that you have under your care right now are doing. So I really want to thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. I've been speaking with Stacy Poptanich, who is a licensed wildlife rehabilitator in New York State. Her wildlife rehab center is the Mother Hen Wildlife Rehab. Thank you again. Thank you. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit trailertalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. Hi, I'm Nina Totenberg. Are you someone who talks about how great public radio is, but you're still not a donor? Rather than wait for the next pledge drive, you can support the programs you love by donating that unwanted vehicle. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station, and you could get a tax deduction. Or 
Or you could just give us hundreds of dollars directly. We'd like that a lot. And thank you. Go to WJFFRadio.org and donate right now. You're listening to Radio Catskill. On air, online, on your smartphone, and on your smart speaker. Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. I am so excited to be speaking with Bobby Abate. He is a queer artist, a filmmaker, an activist, and he has created a tarot deck called the Outsider Tarot. And I'm very interested to speak with Bobby about it and why it's called the Outsider Tarot. What is tarot? I want to invite you all to this virtual kitchen table. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about the Outsider Tarot. So you have reinterpreted the tarot deck. And in doing so, you have experimented with the images, with the form, and really with the framing of it. So why don't we begin there? What does this mean that it is an outsider tarot deck? You've connected it to it also being a queer and an activist deck. So what is this? The Outsider Tarot, like it took a long time to come up with the title. And I realized my experience as an artist, as a queer person, as an artist, as growing up as an artist, as a young child in a kind of suburban setting, and um, and then becoming an artist as I you know went on in life and then came out of the closet as queer, I just realized that I was always living this kind of life as the other in society, you know, just that was right from the beginning, as I write in the book, like I had brought this little toy to my first grade class and I was talking through it because I had some sorts of social anxiety and I was kind of put into the role of the outsider right then and there. And it was an uncomfortable role because I wasn't a social kid. I was always that kid on the outside that wasn't part of the group. I realized so young how like kids started forming cliques and groups around me and I was not there like that trope of the last one chosen for the team. I always held the idea that I've been dyslexic too um, and I'm pretty intensely dyslexic. So that makes me really bad at sports and all of that. So it just, there were certain things that caused me to see the world from a different perspective when I was making this deck, the deck was coming from a person that lived from this other perspective. And it just seemed natural that I make that the idea of the deck. I wasn't really sure what the title was going to be. A lot of people, a lot of tarot decks are named after the artists themselves. And people were like the Bobby Tarot and all that. And I was, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, I was not interested in in having a tarot deck named after me, but I wanted to have a tarot deck that followed an experience through life that so many people that I'm close to in my chosen family, my friends, my circle, even my own family can relate to. And that turned out to be, I think, a really excellent idea because a lot of people feel like the deck calls to them in their outsiderness and those roles that they also occupy in their own very specific ways um, in, in society. Well, what's interesting about what you're saying, Bobby, is that in a way, so that perspective of being an outsider, which initially was such a painful one, a challenging one as a, as a, a child, as you're describing, then evolved into giving you a kind of perspective, which has had its benefits. And then combining that is also what I just heard you say, is that in a way through this perspective of being the outsider outside the mainstream or, or the so-called norms, is that in a way that has allowed you and you've experimented in the creation of the outsider tarot deck to reach more people. So in a way it's enabled you. And I think this idea of the outsider can enable a kind of connectedness to actually more people instead of less. 
Would you say that that makes sense? Absolutely. It's like um, through the release of this deck and the way people that have bought it, who have it, the connections I've made, I was just actually before this, I was talking with somebody in California, this guy named Marcus Barella, who um, is a bartender at the Eagle, but also an artist. And he has does these readings every single morning and has been taking all these photos, like inspired to make all these collages and artwork with the deck. And he and I have become really close friends. But I also get these emails from people that just talk about how the deck has really touched their soul in this weird way and like touched this kind of wound that they've always had um, about being an outsider that also comes with some sort of guilt for a lot of people, including me, like at times in my past, these are people that are younger, like in their twenties that just feel like they should be social or should be in the center of things. So the deck kind of is helping them to kind of accept the orientation that they have and empower themselves within that perspective. So it has absolutely like created all these incredible new um, connections in my life and interconnections. Yes. And those interconnections, because what I so appreciate in your writing about the outsider tarot deck is you say from diva to drag queen, poet to hustler, rebel to hacktivist, essential worker to young migrant, renegade filmmakers to queer tattooist, transgender icon to uncompromising revolutionary. The outsider tarot was, was created to be an indispensable divination tool for anyone who lives beyond the boundaries of society. So by even combining those kinds of people that are so often shunned or have had to deal with so much discrimination or judgment, oppression, by even making these kinds of people the center of the deck, I feel that that is such a powerful statement that you're making How did this begin for you? Because the tarot, well, let me just first of all say, how would you define what it is? Because we keep saying it, but there are people out there and myself, I don't have deep knowledge of it. I think of cards, I think of a reading, some sort of knowledge, but I don't really know the origins of it and what it does or how it works. So this is a definite question that a lot of people work with (laughs) when it comes to the tarot. I'm of the school that uh, my spiritual belief is that uh, nothing is everything. (laughs) So the tarot, I would like the most simply describe it as being nothing at all. But um, basically what we're looking at is when we're doing a reading at first, I was like, is the universe who's shuffling these cards? What, how, why are the, you know, I get this question a lot, like, so what's shuffling them? Why should I believe that there's anything unique about this? I go back to the simplicity of the fact it's like, it's a contemplation of the universe and the enormity of it. And the way the spiritual system behind a lot of the tarot decks that are out there, like the Rider Waite, it's called the Hermetic Kabbalah. It's the idea that there's this great unknowable nothingness um, above it all, things that we just can't comprehend. And when we do a tarot reading, we shuffle the cards. We're in a specific room, a specific space, in a specific time with people. That will never, ever, ever exist again in the history of the universe. It's a unique moment that exists there. And the arrangement of the cards none of that will happen ever again. So we're looking at that moment and we're, we're sitting down and we're paying attention to a snapshot of that moment in the cards and we're reading that moment. So it's um, a kind of ephemeral moment. Yes. It's like what we hear over and over again is to be in the present moment. The tar- a tarot reading allows us to really sit in the present moment and reflect upon it um, and appreciate something that happened in that present moment. And so that's like, we do a three card reading, a one card reading, a 15 card reading. We are analyzing the precision of that moment that just happened and what that has to tell us. Um, All the tarot cards are lenses in which to examine that present moment. So any of the 78 cards are accurate and befitting to speak to us at any time about any issue, but these three have come to us 
and uh, that there's something to be learned from the universe by those three cards that have come to us in this, say, for instance, daily past, present, future reading. So the cards and these cards, by the way, you you have created the images. You've actually, through your own knowledge of tarot, the history of it and your research and also your rejecting of some of it, right? To come up with a different kind of framework for the tarot. You're using, you mentioned before, even tropes, but so there's certain tropes, symbols, images that you're working with, and it's a complicated system, it seems. Can you talk to us a bit about how they're divided and how then that unfolding begins with this kind of, as you say, a contemplation of the moment, of the present moment? Well, it goes back to when I was 17 and I got my first, I was like first met the tarot (laughs) and um, I wanted to create a deck. I was an artist, a young artist in Boston. And I was like really, really challenged and inspired to create my own tarot deck at that point. And all tarot decks came with a little white book that have like one sentence of interpretation for every card. Um, none of those interpretations made any sense to me because I was like, but wait, why does this image of this person on a horse with six wands mean, you know, victory or, you know, whatever it is, like they seem to have been derived from a formula, but the formula was missing. And as a dyslexic person, I can't remember or take anything at face value. I have to know like what is behind it. That's how I get to know a system. So I was completely flawed project to try and design a tarot back then. I started reading Rachel Pollack, her book called um, The 78 Degrees of Wisdom, which opened up the system behind every card. And I was really able to like, that was, that was the door that opened up for me. That was like, every card is, is a, is like a, um, a combination of all these different energy points, esoteric systems. Then I was like, oh, this makes sense. So it's what I'm seeing those little white books is just an interpretation of a formula. Um, These interpretations and these images come from somewhere, right? We all come from somewhere and from our own embedded histories. So what is it that also you were questioning about some of these images that perhaps you weren't aligned with politically or socially? Well, I mean, the, traditionally, the, the Rider Waite deck, which is the most famous deck, and, and many of the tarot decks out there are a celebration of um, heterosexual, white, um, almost medieval society. I mean, the whiteness is horrifying. <laughs> it's like lily whiteness, you know, so um, I just, I, as a queer person, I don't connect to something that's in itself like a celebration of... Um, you know, heterosexual, exclusionary white culture. So there are, there always have been decks out there that like the tarot of the cat people was one of the first ones. It's like every tarot, every, everything is translated into a cat. And then uh, there's that woman's one uh, that, that has the round cards, right? The that, from that, cat. exactly. Yeah. From a feminist perspective. That, that deck is absolutely fabulous was a a shining beacon, but also extremely confusing for a lot of people um, because it has a lot of degrees in which you read them. Um, But um, a lot of people have like the most incredible readings and the paintings, the artwork are so gorgeous. So, I mean, the mother piece was a revolutionary deck that uh, allowed people to like, invited other people to really come and make their own decks. And um, that was a system that really, inspired me, the mother piece, to um, to really blow up the system and reinterpret it completely. And Bobby, how does being queer and, and also def- using queer to even define the deck, right? This out- outsider tarot deck that you've created, you've envisioned, where does queer fit into it in terms of how you would even define that for our listeners? Queer is a word that we're reclaiming. I met, um, a, a few years ago, I met a person who was, uh, in, who was coming out in the 1950s and 60s. And I kept using the word queer as interviewing him. And he was really, really offended. He was like, you cannot use that word around me. This is a slur. 
And I had to step back from that um, in that interview, but I left that interview thinking like, what does queer mean? It's a reclamation of, of being basically an outsider, I would say. Um, so I, I, what we were talking earlier, um, I would think, uh, you know, as a queer person that went to, like I was a young queer 17 year old and I went into Boston and I went to several big like gay and lesbian youth groups. I was the outsider in those youth groups because I was like this weird grungy artist kid and I didn't really fit in with those people. So I was like, how could I not fit in here? And, and also in the art school, how could I not fit in the art school? So it's like, I think queer is like something that we used that I would define someone that is other in the other, like an other of the other, <laughs> you know, another that just literally is queer from any standardized system. Um, you know, so it doesn't have necessarily have to do with sexuality. It just has to do with, um, being queer is just like how we approach society or not. <laughs> yes. Thank you for that. And Bobby, why did you want to more deeply explore tarot and create the outsider tarot deck? I mean, why, why tarot? You're an artist, you're an activist, you're a filmmaker. So why that? Like what, what is it about as you just shared with us? Um, it's this kind of, exploration of the great unknowing nothingness but but what in you kind of made you want to provide readings for people provide these tools tools to the universe i think like i grew up roman catholic and I, um and i grew up with like this great connection to spirituality the roman catholic church is something that rejects others especially queer people and hasn't necessarily been exactly friendly to even people of color or, you know, I mean, women, um, people has, of color, gay people, you name it. Right. Especially women. I mean, just like, yeah, no female priests and what it asks of people in terms of sexuality. Anyway, we know that there's a, a million problems uh, with the church, um, but there is still also this kind of spirituality, this underlying spirituality that existed in my home that I take forward. Um, St. Teresa appears in the deck. Um, so I think the tarot gives, it, it, it's an open-ended system. It's like open source. Um, it allows us to contemplate our spirituality for others that aren't just so like, I mean, certain people just have no connection to spirituality and that's that's the life that they live in it's, and, and, and thrive in. But I needed to have something where I could kind of contemplate and work with my spirituality. So the tarot seemed like a very natural um, tool for that. Um, I say divination, but really it's just, a, it's a tool of reflection. And it just reminds me that especially so many uncanny readings that I've had over the last year and everybody that has bought this deck um, it's kind of like, oh, there is something bigger than I understand out there, right? And um, and so it just gives me that um, comfort of like exploring my spirituality. And how have you also explored yourself as an artist with the images, with the paintings that you've made? They're watercolor, correct? Paintings. And maybe you could describe them for us. Um, perhaps uh, a favorite one of you I'm sure they're all your favorites but but just right now during this conversation perhaps a card that comes to mind and also I'm interested I was really excited about some of the people the historic figures that you've included in this deck if you could talk about some of those people I mean they they go from Nina Simone to Kathy Acker and many in between so maybe you could name some of those and why as well um, so for the art part of it, the watercolor, they're painted with watercolor and gouache. And I'm a filmmaker. I started off as a filmmaker. I also edit a lot of TV. Um, and at that point, reality TV. Um, I really wanted to, when I went into art school, I was a painter. And I really wanted to get away from the computer screen because um, I was really in front of it a lot. And a lot of my own artwork and the work I did for work work was like for money was um, 
all in front of a computer. So the tarot was a huge invitation and opportunity to get with my hands again and work with my hands with a pencil and, and, and paint and water and a physical medium. So it was an enormous challenge because I had no self-confidence anymore. I spent every single day of my life drawing for almost like, you know, until for every year, every day, like, and then I just kind of lost it as I went deeper and deeper into video editing and animation and stuff like that. So it just was attacking things that I, my self-doubts, like facing them and proving to myself that I could do it. And it was really a a challenge and a process. How long Um, were you working on it? This project's 10 years. Yeah. 10 years. (laughs) um, you know, I just started drawing and becoming more confident. And then I had, to, I did all the drawings first and then I started painting and working with the paint. And, um, and so, you know, there was a lot of self-doubt to work through. Um, so having it out there, I, I was, when I released it, I, I was terrified. It took me, you know, my boyfriend, my, my partner of 15 years, not boyfriend, um, was, uh, keeps telling me for the last seven years, you have to get this out there. And at some point I just was like, am I ever, you know, I was, it was, uh, so when I got it out there, I was terrified for people to have it. Like, are they going to judge it? Are they going to judge me and my artwork? And thankfully, like it's gone over the opposite way. Everybody's really embracing it and, and loving yes. this artwork. Well, I, I was, I am so drawn in to the color, the lushness, the motion. And then of course, the mystery of what you you've painted the depictions and what they mean. Uh, I'm wondering if you can talk to us about some of the people, people that you've included in the deck and why. Well, that's an interesting question. Like um, there are so many people that I wanted to include and so many people that, um, that, that should be included that aren't. And it was, um, it was such a process because it was uh, each card is um, takes the esoteric principles that were set forth in the Hermetic Kabbalah that was established in the early 1900s. So you have some astrology there. You have a position on the tree of life. You have the alchemical property of the suit. And so I decided to add one more principle to every card, which was an outsider principle. So it's like all these people that I had this huge list that I wanted to put in the deck suddenly like, oh, they didn't really work in this with these, astro- you know, astrological principles. So I, people were coming in, outsiders were coming in that were, um, I had never expected like Jackie Shane in the Five of Lights, who is a trans R&B singer uh, in the 1960s, was rising to fame and has this enormous fiery talent but was really far ahead of her time and um, maybe too far ahead of her for that time and um, kind of recused herself um, because the world wasn't ready. Um, That just happened to be the perfect iteration for the five of lights. And so the out the tarot led me to Jackie Shane (laughs) in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Nina Simone was an absolute like shoe in. I, I had to have Nina Simone in the deck and I knew that that was going to be in the five of whatever the water suit would be, which became bottles. Um, and a lot of people look at that card because the traditional design of that is, um, one of mourning and sorrow, a black cloaked figure from the Rider weight that's looking at, you know, two cups that have fallen over. In this case, people will say, are sometimes scared by the image because all the bottles are broken in it and there's blood. And I'm like, this is a card of empowerment. You just, this is destroying systems head on that no longer work for you with your power and your divaness. Nina Simone coined herself the diva and that term is stuck. So um, those two people were opposite ends of the spectrum uh, in terms of who went into the deck. Kenneth Anger, uh, is the inspiration for the 10 of uh, lights, which is one of my favorite uh, cards with the rainbow under the chandelier. Kathy Acker is in there, the punk rock feminist writer. My partner, Douglas Martin, um, is a bi- biographer 
of Kathy Acker and has just released, had at that point released a, um, a biography of her that was his dissertation um, for, for his PhD, Retooled. And that card is the cover. Um, Lee Bowery is in there. Um, and then there's groups of outsiders like refugees um, uh, in, in the suit of eyes, the seven of eyes. Um, right decided to have groups of outsiders be represented rather than just one. Yes. And what's so incredible about that, Bobby, is also, so it's it's almost, there's so many layers with your deck. And, and so there's, you know, there's the esoteric and the actual tarot symbols, but then you've also embedded these historic figures that are part of, our culture, which I find absolutely intriguing. And of course, then there's these vibrant, beautiful paintings, uh, the images on the deck itself. So we only have another minute or two. We'll have to talk again another time. But is there anything you want to share with us before we conclude? Um. Oh, wow. That's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, well, I'm I glad always, you didn't ask me that. <laughs> um, I think that um, the one thing is that a lot of people have gotten this deck that have never read the tarot before. And the most moving thing is that um, it comes with the guidebook that like has two pages of uh, explanation for every single card. And the most heartening thing is that, you know, people that have never read the tarot before can take the deck and do one card every day and open up the book and it's leading them through their days and giving them like this kind of reflection and light for the day or a meditation for the day. That's quite, um, I don't know. That's that, to me, that's the most amazing thing about it is that it's a, a total newbie can like come into this and use it as a, as a meditation and reflection tool on the, on a daily basis. And, and that, that to me is, uh, the greatest honor and, and uh, reward for making a tarot deck. Well, thank you so much, Bobby. It's really been great talking to you. I have so many more things I want to talk to you about, but really, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you. This has been so wonderful to talk to you. I've been speaking with Bobby Abate about his outsider tarot deck, a new deck that he has created and you can find out more about Bobby on Instagram at Bobby Sweet Kitty and also at Outsider Tarot. And you can also go to the website at OutsiderTarot.com. Bobby Abate, thank you. Thank you. From the kitchen table out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. Thanks for joining me for Sabrina Artell's Trailer Talk. The music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power. Trailer Talk is produced by Sabrina Artell. For more information, please visit TrailerTalk.net. Special thanks to WJFF Radio Catskill and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. Thank you all who joined me in these conversations. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels. Hi. I'm Aaron Bendich, and I host Borscht Beat on Radio Catskill. I play the musical traditions of Yiddish folk song, klezmer instrumentals, and Jewish song from the last 2,000 plus years. I hope you are all having a wonderful, happy Hanukkah, and I hope you enjoy whatever other holidays you might be celebrating. From all of us here at Radio Catskill, have a safe and festive holiday season, and a happy new year. WJFF Jeffersonville. You're listening to Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Support comes from the Law Office of John Ferrara in Monticello, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial and family law and criminal defense. John.Ferrara557 at gmail.com. Support comes from the Vintage House on Main Street, Jeffersonville, featuring eclectic furnishings, clothing, antiques, records, and books in a charming 19th century house. 
vintagehousejville.com and on Instagram at vintagehousejville. You're listening to the Retro Cocktail Hour 